0: Podcast for HBO's Stolen Valor of a TV show, <laughs> Ashamed of Thrones. Brian, did I ever tell you about the time I was in Desert Shield?
1: <laughs> yes, many times. First and second one. The first one, I think you were only what, twelve, eleven? Yeah, about, yeah. About. Played an important role out there, though.
0: Hey, you know, I lied about my age. It's what you did back then.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Um, so, uh, it's nice that you're more talkative this week than last. Um,
1: yeah, after the uh, Halloween spooktacular episode, <laughs> so I want to apologize first to everyone. Um, for those of you with the lower IQs that didn't pick up on this, I was not present last week. I had a last-minute emergency. Yeah, so in case you, you didn't pick it up when Doug played, uh, give me my dragons for the fourth time <laughs> of the episode. Um, so I'm sorry I missed it. Uh, I'm glad that Doug was able to go forward with it. And uh, as always, fuck Jermaine.
0: Yeah, as always, fuck Jermaine. Actually, no, I can't say fuck Jermaine. He did help us. We might have him back on the show. Um, that was helpful what he did? He well, did. He, he was just a warm body at that point. Um, yeah. You know, I just needed somebody else to drag me. I can't, as much as I enjoy the sound of my own voice, I, I just couldn't talk by myself for 40 fucking minutes. Usually the show is an hour. Also, I apologize for not being able to stretch that out longer than uh, I did last week, guys, but it was difficult. Um,
1: it was very funny. And it, I had taken all my notes, I was ready to go. And then. Something came up with uh, I, I could not I could not I had no time to spare for the rest of that evening, and uh, one of the things Doug prides us on is at least getting out a show every Tuesday. Yep. That way, there's some some uh, some schedule, and it's not just kind of a free for all. So
0: I will not promise this show is going to be funny. I do not promise the show is going to be uh, high quality. I do not promise uh, this show will even be anything but a bunch of farts. But it will come out every Tuesday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like clockwork. Or actually Monday night. It it really uh doesn't show up on iTunes until uh, Tuesday morning.
1: And you know the irony is that you awarded me the employee of the month uh designation the prior week. You know, it's because just I like had an episode. And it's just you like
0: us. you know, it's just like when a sports announcer says, "This guy has been perfect all year from kicks, yes. you know, at this length." And you know, as soon as you mention it, that's when it goes wrong. It's like you're yeah. you're daring the gods to uh to smite you. But otherwise yep. we're uh, we're ready to pull uh Ahead now, and today we'll be discussing uh the Prince of Winterfell. And this is season two, episode seven or nine, eight, 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 yes, yes, Satan mm-hmm. feeling great. All right, um, as a whole, we all know what's what episode nines are to a season, uh, but I gotta say, initial impressions of this episode a little bit of a letdown for the building action that we're supposed to be uh building to. I feel like they're not doing a great job. Building up to this invasion from Stannis, which will become to be known the Battle of the Blackwater.
1: Yeah, that aspect of it was a little disappointing because we know the we know the bla- Battle of the Blackwater is coming, and the previews were incredible. But I don't know that they really set up the epic scale of what was coming through this episode. Um, and this was an episode where I don't think I had like a strong opinion either way on it. Still entertaining, still interesting, plenty of good scenes, uh, enjoyable, uh, no matter what.
0: Yeah, I would I would give you that. I, I think it's pretty milk toast. But um, I guess looking at it in that spectrum, once again, we're not going to pretend that we're watching the show for the first time because that's stupid. Um, so looking at it as a setup to the climax of the whole season, uh, it's pretty weak. I'll just say that. Uh, but I agree with you on everything else. So let's start this off. So yes, the episode begins in Winterfell. And uh, all the ravens have been killed by the Greyjoys or the whatever Ironborn. I guess they're not all Greyjoys. It's just Dion. And I guess this is presumably so no one can send for help. Um, and then Asha or Yara, whatever you want to call her, whatever she's known in the show.
1: Let's just go with the show explanation, so we don't have to say that same, uh, same, same. Um, uh, no, I've said it probably times.
0: ten times already, and I plan to say it another fifteen, twenty times. You so do what Asha
1: doing. slash Yara
0: arrives, and she doesn't have reinforcements. And Theon's like, "What the fuck?" Um, in addition, she just is her general asshole self, tripping down her brother in front of the the rest of the guys. Um, she calls him an idiot for killing the only valuable hostages in Winterfell, which you know. That would make sense, but you know we know that he didn't kill anybody, but he can't admit to it. So this is just funny watching Theon, I guess, twist in the wind. Um, she also ref- uh, informs him that he is to return to the Iron Islands with her uh, because they can't hold Winterfell; it's too far from the sea. And Theon doesn't wish to stop being Prince Theon anytime soon, so he refuses.
1: I have a number of things about this scene. First, Theon's look of confusion throughout the thing was really amusing to me. Yeah, it was. Um, He just seemed baffled, the entire uh, scene. Um, If there was a contest of who is the most annoying Greyjoy, who do you think would win in that contest? It depends on the season. Okay. Uh, To date, who would you put as the most annoying Greyjoy?
0: Uh, I mean, you only have, what, three of them to choose from? Maybe four with uh, Urine? Grey well, July we haven't even in? met
1: Euron yet, I don't think. Yeah,
0: no, okay, on the show, I don't know, Balon's pretty uh, annoying just because he's so fucking dumb. But I, I, Theon has... I don't know, you're right, it, it's hard to choose because Theon is pretty fucking annoying even though he redeems himself a little bit. He's still kind of fucking obnoxious. But, uh,
1: I, I think he's kind of wayward, and I think that... I would put it on Balon because he's responsible for... Uh, Yara and Theon, yeah. theoretically, you know.
0: Oh, uh, this—that's the character I—I I hate the most. I would say out yes, of Joyce. Yes. But as far as the most annoying, uh, Balon just doesn't have enough screen time to uh, annoy me. I guess to be in yeah. that battle.
1: Well, we also—I did like the scene from the fact that we saw that Osha wasn't just insulting Theon the entire scene. There was some degree of uh, oh, humanity with like the which Ocean. See- no, wait. Your Osha.
0: Osha is the. Asha for sure is the wildling girl.
1: Okay, I'm sorry. Osha
0: is the wildling girl. Fuck George Martin and fuck. This is Yara. People for changing the name even more. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay, this is Yara.
1: Yes, Yara. At least in this scene, she showed a little bit more humanity towards her brother that she hadn't shown by sending all those people out and saying, "Look, this. You know, I care about you. Whatever. I mean, I think that part of this. Listen,
0: uh, I was gonna go smother you in your crib, but then you smiled at me." (laughs)
1: Well, I mean some of this I think is the the ironborn way of just completely dismissing any care for anybody whatsoever. She kind of betrays a little bit of that and probably goes against what her dad would have had her do in that situation to show some degree of tenderness towards Theon. So uh, one other thing I noticed about this is this is like – I don't understand what the strategy is here because I thought the whole point of the Greyjoys like at this point is to go and try to take over the north. Well, hey, Theon just captured like the most one of the most important footholds in the north. Right. Why aren't they coming in and, and like filling this thing out? Well, I don't how does this make any sense? I, I
0: I don't know because uh once again, we've decided that the Baylon Rebellion is just dumb to begin with. Yeah. Um I understand that they want but we don't I think that's the big the big overarching problem here with the Grey Joy Rebellion. Is what do they ultimately want? Do they want land on the mainland? Well, okay, if you do want that you're not going to just need a castle. You're going to need a way to defend it. You're going to need several castles. You're going to need like a peninsula that you can kind of defend from sea and from the land. Um, and I, I can understand Winterfell's too far from the ocean, but what are they going to just – they're going to hold uh, Moat Kalen, which is the way to get up north. Uh, I don't understand why they don't – you're right. Why don't they just take the whole north? Because the majority of the north soldiers have gone south with Rob. That means the entire north is – severely lacking um manpower i would think
1: and this is a good place to start because it, it's a it's a critical foothold i mean it's one of the biggest castles it's obviously the the starks stay there so i don't know i think it's just bad upper management there's been no communication or no vision communicated to the lower right. management and you know i i think it all falls back on balon for not really uh i agree telling with you, people what to like, do correctly <laughs> but, i
0: agree with you but uh Yara seems to be um on board. You know, she knows the vision. She's like, Did you not read the company's mission statement? Yeah. yeah. It says to uh you know, to rape, pillage, and enrich lives, and that's what we do here at Greyjoy Co. <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. So next, we go out to the frozen tundra, and uh, John is with the party. has been captured. We meet the Lord of Bones, and they've apparently the wildlings have also captured Corin. Lord of Bones wants to immediately kill John, but Egret convinces him to save John. First, she tries to say, uh, "Well, he saved my life. John saved my life." And then, when that doesn't work, she says that he is Ned's bastard. And this raised the question to me: Like, how do these wildlings know who Ned Stark is and who his bastard is?
0: Well, in the show, it's uh, it's pretty well known that the Starks are a family that goes back to the time of legend. Um, oh, okay. So, the, yeah. So, like. There's been a Stark in Winterfell for what they say is a thousand years. The show, in oh, both like the brand, books, the
1: builder, and all that. Yeah, kind of thing. so yeah.
0: they know that there's a Stark. They might not know Ned Stark, but they probably know the name Stark because there's been, you know, that's that's that is the ruling family anywhere close to where these people live. Okay, um, so that's how it's explained in the show or the book. I don't know about the show. Um, I mean,
1: it makes sense to me if, like, say, Mance knows because he was previously a member of the King or Knights uh, Watch, right? Not, but yeah, but he, but I don't know what would make sense for Eager to to know that. Um, maybe Lord of Bones, maybe, but um, but anyways, not not that important. So, you know, Lord of Bones, we ahead. get
0: loan, we get introduced to Lord of boners, and uh, you know, he is dismissed rather quickly by what was it, and thus the red hair guy eventually. Oh,
1: uh, that guy's awesome. I forget his name.
0: Yeah, he does like a hotels dot com, uh, <laughs> yeah. ad campaign or something. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, he's great. The Redhead guy kills him pretty pretty quickly. Um, I, I don't know where I was going with that. Just besides to say, I'm not a fan of the Lord of Bones. I'm just kind of upset he didn't play more of a role.
1: I agree with you. I found him kind of annoying, but I did what well, I did like. To, I did kind of like him in scenes, despite the fact that I found him annoying. Yeah, he's kind—he's
0: um, kind of a dick in, uh, yeah. in, a, in kind of a fun way.
1: Yeah. So Lord of Bones agrees to keep John safe, but um, if he tries to run away, he's going to cut off his balls and presumably feed them to the walruses in the northern version of very what good, the uh, Very good. So Igra um, tells John that she considers them even. Um, John kind of talks to Corrin there for a minute or two, and uh, Corrin lets on that they were caught because of John. They tried to track back and find John. And it basically gives him a moment, uh, a private saving private Ryan moment of er this, you know, <laughs> and John has to feel terrible about this whole thing because John's is, uh, as we talked about last or two episodes ago, a wild eyed optimist thinks, you know, he's doing the right thing all the time. And, you know, it is kind of shitty that he saved this woman's life because he thought that, I guess, you shouldn't kill women. And then it's turned around to bite of these his brothers of the um, brothers of the night's watch on the butt. Yeah, and one I will, thing I think sorry, the show didn't do very good job of is uh, they didn't explain where Ghost was about this thing, and I believe in the book they explain that Ghost is not able to follow the rangers up some mountain or something like that, but th- they don't mention him at all um, in this scene, and I guess that's kind of a precursor of where they just ignore Ghost as the show goes along when it's convenient.
0: Well, at least in the books, I know that he's separated from Ghost, and Ghost returns when uh, Cold Hands escorts Sam and Gilly through the the wall, right? Man right? Gets right. Bran and those people back up, and that's when uh, Snow, um, Ghost comes back. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, this is all show invention uh, to a certain degree because um, John lets Egret go, and he just goes back to the group in the books. Now, the group uh, which he's part of with Corin and the other guys gets picked off one by one um, and it becomes clear that you know they're not going to go away it's like a ten little Indians thing and it's just down to John and Corin uh, and they both get captured immediately they have to fight they, they fight before they get put in chains because um, Corin's like he saw this coming a mile away but right. I think they do this just to just to two things to give John um, just to speed up the story and I understand that um, yeah I'm willing to forget that but my problem is it's just this guilt. Um, this is another situation where they put guilt on a main character, like they do with Brand at the very end of this episode. Spoiler alert: we will be ruining uh, the rest of this episode for you. So
1: oh, just God, beware! This spoiler alert: the most worthless thing ever.
0: But, hey, it's tradition now. Can't stop. But yeah, um, I think it's just a way to like, you know, put guilt upon a character as a form of motivation. Sure. And I think it's kind of sloppy.
1: I agree with you. I wasn't a huge fan of it. I also thought that uh, Corrin seemed like an interesting character. I know you didn't like him when he first appeared, but I mean, think about the guy who's been ranging—probably the longest-ranging brother. You know, you would think he has some interesting stories. Instead, it just seems like he gets captured like a rube out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, Um, that—that's kind of boring. uh, But you know, you can only tell so many stories in in these things. You know,
0: yeah, but you're right. They don't do a good job of setting him up. I feel like. I don't know if they couldn't set him up in season one, but maybe earlier in this season they could have told more stories about Corrin just like in in episode one, just drop his name. I don't know. They might have. Uh, but Well, the
1: importance of him being captured and then why it's so important that John kills him, it, it does it definitely does not translate to the screen at all
0: yeah um, um I think it's too early, but did they have their did they do they have their save and private
1: moment no no not, not in this set well they yeah, they did and not in this scene though right it's later but they didn't do the like the kill like they did you know corn kind of shoved them away and was like oh
0: yeah better not yeah, yeah, planning the scene you know. yeah
1: yes 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 yes, so
0: whatever all right, so next we go to uh the countryside and Rob and Talisa are chatting. Uh hey can
1: you do me a favor um just as when the scene was over wake me up when it's over yeah.
0: All the Talisa Tali- or Talissa stuff in here was uh I'll say it's the low point of the episode um and it just goes on too long so you know they're just trying to speed along this romance and they do they do it at a goddamn like um what was the was it attack of the clones when George Lucas tried to write a romance novel between romance scenes between uh Darth Vader and um, the girl from the professional.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> Sand is course. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, Rob and Talisa are chatting on an extremely windy day. I'm surprised they got their dialogue without having it to be ADR. It's a little, uh, whatever, uh, business talk. You guys, ADR something. I can't get into it anyway. Uh, he's <laughs> telling her the reason for him getting <laughs> married or being, uh, you know, having one of these arranged marriages, And he says he needed the bridge because he thought he could march south and save his father. Now, it's been a while since I read the books, but uh, I don't remember exactly why he needed the bridge, but I don't think it was to get his father or rescue his father. I think it was to attack the Lannisters. I don't think he wanted to march on King's Landing right away. Uh, That would have been suicide, I guess. Um, I think he just needed it to attack the Lannisters. But regardless, we get this like Rob's a good guy kind of thing. But Rob says his father was a great man because he wanted to protect all of his people uh, from the lowliest to the, you know, the most recognized lord or knight or whatever. What do you
1: think would be like the lowest people?
0: (laughs) I don't know. Somebody who maybe, I don't know, uh, cleans lice out of (laughs) everybody's hair. Like, you know, they just sit down at a dinner table and there's the one guy that like, you know, like you see in the nature programs with one monkey coming behind the other guy. uh, They have this guy. He's like the the lousy. And that's ironic. The lousy lice cleaner. What about the people who clean up the poo? (laughs) Well, there's probably some shit cleaners. uh, Cause not everybody got toilets at this time. I'm sure. So I'm sure anyway, basically the lowest of the low uh, Rob saying that his dad cared for everybody, which seems like an obvious ploy to get into Talisa's pants. Uh, But anyway, he starts botching this job by start talking about his beliefs about capital punishment. As far as it comes to Joffrey uh he wants Joffrey dead. He wants his family dead, all that great stuff. Uh and that, you know, kind of turns Talisa off a little bit. But they're interrupted by this uh, amazing romance um by a messenger letting him know that Jamie has escaped again. Um he probably didn't know about the first time, but uh because he was away. Uh but anyway, we get later we get Rob. He's back at the camp. He finds out that his mother was the one that let the Kingslayer go. When he asks uh, why? She replies it was for the girls. Lord Karstark is even more pissed than Rob, and justifiably so, because Catelyn's complaining about, um, all her children are prisoners. Uh, whereas, you know, Karstark's, he has two sons dead, one died in the field, and one was murdered directly by Jamie Lannister. So he has a good point here. Um, one was, uh, murdered by Jamie's own hand, if you catch the pun, because... Jamie mm-hmm. has one hand. No, I got it. Anyway, Rob orders his mother detained in her own tent uh, day and night and sends an additional 40 men to go capture Jamie. So that's where we are.
1: Yeah, the scene, the prior scene the, of the two that you described, uh, that, that scene made me angry. Uh, just the, these bad decisions we talked about. I don't want to keep harping on it. Was it. Uh, it's, what? Okay,
0: so you were uh, mad at the narrative, not the scene itself, <laughs> the dialogue it, in the writing. All
1: of it, all of it.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, and then he, he's also, like, doing this in front of everyone, which yeah, also seems crazy to be, like, why isn't, why isn't Roos uh, stepping in? Why isn't his mom stepping in? Yeah, I mean,
0: Roos has given him, like, judgmental eyes. I think I pointed that out last episode, but, yeah. the episode before, but he's not saying anything. Nobody's stopping this. No one, everybody probably sees this coming from a mile away as being a terrible idea,
1: and they're not trying to hide it. No, you think that he have the, the, like his war council would have free reign to step in and say, "Listen, boy, you know you need to stop this shit." But whatever. Right. I don't. Did you notice that uh, that her, Talisa and Rob, like when the writer approached to give the news about JB uh, ex- escaping, like they had like these really goofy looks on their faces. I didn't notice that. What did they look if like? If you look, if you look, at, if you watch it again. And God help if you watch this scene again. Absolutely not. They both look <laughs> like they knew in advance of what was going to happen or something. Uh, just odd shots. Guys, but that, that
0: is another Ashamed of in promise. The shows will come out every Tuesday, and I will not watch an episode again. I've already seen it once years ago, and this is the second time never again.
1: Yeah so Catelyn uh this uh, her betrayal of of the Stark family this continues to run completely against everything that Ned stood for and you really thought that she was like uh, she was made of stronger stuff or sterner stuff than treason and also she was smarter than this I mean she's cl- I don't know where she thinks this is going to end up I, I, and I know this is taken from the book so I kind of forgive it a little bit but um, the downfall of the Stark family is uh, is all on their own decisions and it's um it's a, it's a real betrayal to Ned, and I think the precedent he set as the leader of that family. Uh,
0: I, I would agree with most of that. Um, yeah. I will say, I agree with you 100% that the Starks uh, were the engineers of their own downfall. However, I do want to rant. This classic Doug rant. We're going to get Doug rant music here pretty soon, because I'm doing it pretty often.
1: Probably some gla- Gary Glitter, maybe?
0: <laughs> that guy did touch some children, but... Hey, they still play it at all the sporting events. That guy touched the little kids. Anyway, um, my biggest problem with this is that it makes sense if the kindness that she showed Jamie leads to his eventual redemption arc and the show fucking threw his redemption arc out completely. So this makes this action even more ridiculous and idiotic. Do you understand, at least from a book standpoint, that her act of kindness and trusting Jamie sends Jamie on a path where he starts to respect um, vows? You know, he promised to return, you know, uh, Cat Stark's children to her, and when he gets to King's Landing, neither of them are there. Once again, that doesn't happen in the show. He gets there, and Sansa's there. But in the book, he gets there. They're not there, so he sends Rian after um, Arya. And um, I don't know it. It makes it makes more sense when you have this kind of karmic um, payoff to Jamie's arc. Does that make yes. sense? It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the Doug rant. Uh, Jamie's redemption arc was more important to the story than these fucking idiots running the show yeah. realize.
1: You also notice in that scene that uh, Lord Karstark mentioned that he would gladly give his heart to the father in exchange for his sons. And I think, as you know. As a northerner, he doesn't worship the seven, he worships the old God, which I wonder if that was a error on the the, the writer's part or if that was intentional. It, sounds like, it
0: sounds like something uh, only a very astute person would pick up, and I'm wondering where you heard it from.
1: <laughs> it, do, do you not know that? Or what?
0: <sighs> no, I, I, I didn't realize it. I mean, that's something i just like, okay, this guy with a beard is talking. Um, well,
1: you, well what, what I do when I watch the show is I listen to what they say and I think about it. Yeah, sure you do. And Come so then you, pick you up read these this in
0: like a recap or something from the so, internet? No,
1: no, no, no. I, I, I've mentioned many times before that I, somebody else on the internet, I saw this, and I, this one I picked up on. Okay, I'll
0: let, was, I'll let this go. But this seems very astute if it was you, so. Jesus
1: Christ. <laughs> uh, so then uh, I, I thought it was strange that Rob was only sending 80 people after Jamie, because, I mean, Jamie is maybe the most important piece of his strategy at this point, I think. Beyond winning wars, as long as he has Jamie Lannister in his, as his captive, I mean, I think he has, like, the ultimate Trump piece, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's... Maybe Trump piece is not the best word, but... I mean, um,
0: and, to giving the situation.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that I, I don't know why he didn't send, like, fucking half his army out, and then... And once again, I think it's not the
0: quantity of sandwiches here. It should be the quality. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. not send 40 guys. Maybe send, like, three teams of your fastest, quickest, most deadly men around. You know what I mean? Tw- 20 good men. Yeah, just 20 good men? That's all you fucking yeah. need. <laughs> Damn it, if he yeah. only knew.
1: Yeah, so stupid. So, anyways, we go to uh, back to King's Landing. We see the uh, continuing evolution of the Jamie – or not Jamie, uh, the uh, – yeah, I'm sorry. We go to – I'm sorry. I was thinking of a later scene. We see the shot of Jamie and Brienne. Uh, Brienne is apparently escorting Jamie back to King's Landing. We get to see the beginning of the relationship. Uh, first, they Brienne lets the horses go. They're getting into the boat the entire time. Uh, a manacled Jamie is, uh, is insulting Brienne. We kind of get to know a little bit about more who they are. Jamie's really obnoxious throughout this thing. Um, he kind of knows who she is or at least where she's from. Makes a bunch of lesbian and bestiality jokes, and uh, it's pretty awful. Uh, Brienne looks down on him because he's the Kingslayer, but he just makes fun of her about her appearance over and over. He Jamie tries to taunt her into a fight, um, but I didn't. I didn't necessarily understand this because we know that Brienne is taking Jamie back to King's Landing. So why is he? Why is he fighting her? Why isn't he just letting her take him back to King's Landing? That's the ultimate goal.
0: You're right. I don't know. Um, In the books, it's just his arrogance thinking that, like, I I don't know if he's just upset that a woman has him captive or anybody has him in chains and he doesn't want to be in chains at all. Uh, But I think it's just his arrogance. Um, Yeah, you're absolutely right. She's trying to help him escape. Maybe you give her shit uh, when you're a couple hundred miles away. I don't know. Yeah.
1: uh, So they steal a boat. They head down a river. Yeah. Where did that boat come from? I just, just boats. Look hard enough, you'll find boats. <laughs> um, but they also seem very obvious too. She's like this uh, enormous woman in this, uh, in, in this like very fancy armor, and then he's, I mean, he's the Kingslayer. You'd think plenty of people would know what he looks like, but I mean, I guess maybe not though because. It's not like uh they have are pic- circulating pictures on television or anything like that. So I don't know. It just seemed if you saw like a prisoner with a giant lady in armor yeah. on a boat, you probably think what's going on with this thing. So It reminds me
0: of that film, I don't know if it won the Academy Award that year, but um where, Dutch? No, where a guy was walking with a very large woman down the street and everybody kept saying shit like, uh, Hey, <laughs> look at that big bitch or uh keep it in the zoo. Oh, uh, Shallow Hell. No, it was Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. That's oh, it. I
1: never saw that. Oh, <laughs> you
0: definitely see that. It's you great... watched that? Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it just, uh, it, this is the banter, and I kind of like, in all seriousness, I kind of like the Brian and Jamie show, and there's a fledgling romance, which I think is just not handled as well in the show, um, but this is the beginnings of it, so that's kind of nice.
1: I like it when it cools down with the insulting uh, as the initial step in the relationship. Jamie's just so obnoxious about the thing. It's kind of gross. Yeah, uh, it is.
0: It is a little overwhelming. Yeah. I feel like they could have pulled back a little bit here, but uh, subtlety yeah. is not these people's uh, forte here. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we move on to Harrenhel. Harrenhal. uh Tywin and bros are discussing Stannis's march on King's Landing Kevin Lannister says the court should just pick up and move to safety uh, because the city will fall pretty quickly. Uh, But Tywin isn't about that life. Uh, Tywin decides all of a sudden that they're going to ride out that night with his whole army. Uh, And he's going to leave the mountain in charge, and Arya is to keep attending him because she does such a good job. Obviously, this is not a great prospect for Arya. Uh, So She goes off looking for Jaqen and sees people still being tortured, trying to find out who killed, uh, Amy Lorch. Um, and she also runs into Rorge and Biter, the th- two of the three guys that was, uh, in that, uh, rolling prison, uh, with the night watch. And Roarge brings up the prospect of threatening to rape her again. So that's fun. And, uh, we find out from hot pie later, uh, in Gundry that, uh, Jakin left earlier to go on patrol uh aria is dejected and she watches as tywin rides out of heron hall and slips through her fingers knowing that she blew the chance to have him killed uh this just is ridiculous this is one of those things where uh she's realizing oh she could have had him killed uh i guess but she's been having dinner with him and attending him for i don't know how long seems like weeks Right, and this is this is a part of the show invention trying to marry back to the book's plotline, and and just having crazy. This doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, but that's what I, it is, right? She was she she was upset that she couldn't have Jake and kill Tywin because Tywin. She thinks Tywin's going out to march against Rob.
1: Yes, and th- we have a little bit more of that before when when Jack actually shows up again, and I think the books did a better a uh, better way of portraying exactly how like. Assassinations don't just come the next day. Um, I think there's a whole like speech in the book from Jockin about how, um, y- you know, like moons may pass before I'm able to kill someone. Oh, you definitely and read that online. Th- yes, this part I did read online. <laughs> yeah, I'm do sorry. You, you want, go- I'm sorry, you're unfair.
0: <laughs> no, you're you're much better than Jermaine. i will i giving you shit.
1: Oh, so I'm trying to provide some background on the thing. An <laughs> <Fucking> asshole podcast. <laughs> No, this yeah I, I went so, so apparently he gives two lines of this speech and then he, the the speech beyond that is interesting uh, because it's about uh, how like it is like the, these he doesn't just kill people you know you don't like say kill that guy go and then he could just go kills him I mean it could take it could be years or months in the making and so that was part of the reason later when he refuses to assassinate um, Tywin even though he probably shouldn't have refused he probably should have just said I can't do it today but you know maybe over the next few months or whatever um but it's not like i don't you know i, I also question that because is tywin really that secluded it's not like he's in the fucking mobile or anything you know in a bubble i don't know why he couldn't have actually just killed tywin you know uh i agree i mean uh, if tywin's wait, just because pushing it, around the courtyard he shoots him with a blow dart in the neck how would he say how would he how would anybody know where that came from you know
0: plus like even if like, I guess she wants to save her brother's life, um, but you would think sending Jake and kill Tywin, oh, it might take a year. That's fine. Like, yeah, I mean, he's not definitely going to kill your brother, uh, but he will definitely die within the next year if you trust Jake and so that still seems like the best way to go.
1: Yeah. Well, This scene also highlighted, beyond the dynamic of Tywin and Arya being in the same room together, how uh, it must be so frustrating to her to be receiving all this information that was critical to her brother's defenses. And if he knew, then he'd be able to even overwhelm them even further. And she can't really do much about it. Um, So not, not much to that other than I wanted to kind of highlight that because I thought that was interesting. I also like the scene because Tywin's omniscience and kind of uh, his battle planning and understanding of human nature, it's really awesome to behold. Um, And I think that that also we see that in his son Tyrion as well, and this this scene in particular, him like kind of working through what, what he thought Rob Stark would be doing, while the rest of his War Council might as well just have their heads up throwing assholes.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, was was pretty good. And then the other thing I was curious about the scene was, why are those goddamn rapers so angry at Arya? She's she saved them, you know. Like you're, you're absolutely
0: right. <laughs> I yeah. don't know.
1: I don't know, you would have thought they she would have gotten a get out a rape free card or something. Um She's like, I do
0: wanna rape you, but uh you did kinda save my life, so nah. I guess We're you, gonna want, put the you whole- want
1: this extra chicken but I didn't eat We're gonna put the whole I you beat me with a stick from beyond the bars like I was a like I was a monkey in a zoo or something. But anyway, so next we go out to the tundra and uh Corn and, and John are talking they're in kind of in um we're talking about Mance's plans. They're in like a uh, a march to who knows where exactly with the wildlings, and Corrin has is able to tell Jon that the wildlings are uh, combining together to march on the wall. Uh, Corrin begins setting up the conflict, and they kind of they Jon and Corrin kind of scrap in the middle of the 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 chain gang there. Egret buys into it, and um, I don't know. This is kind of strange. I kind of I don't know why the wildlings would have let them be near each other. Exactly. Um, That's what I thought. I was like,
0: yeah. "Maybe this doesn't make sense." You have one prisoner up front, one at the back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just this rushed kind of exposition, and I understand it's cold because it looks cold, and maybe they rushed this whole thing. But we get these long scenes throughout this episode. They could have, I don't know, somehow conveyed this this bond between Corin um, more effectively than than what we have right here. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. Uh, they're condensing down the storylines. I, I mean, I don't have a huge problem with it. I just not. It
0: it's seems not like great. a waste. It seems like a waste. It seems like Corin could have yeah. told him to kill him uh, or to infiltrate the camp later when he actually kills him in the same scene. It just seems like an extra scene.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not, not it's, much it's,
0: fucking it, happens. That's my problem with it.
1: I, I agree with you. And I think it's just the kind of the disease of when they have a character in an episode. They kind of need to check in at least once or or at least twice, and sometimes three times.
0: Would you be referring to anybody else in this episode?
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. We're going to get to it. Okay, so next we go to Tyrion, and he's in his chamber. He's speaking to Bronn. Bronn is cleaning his nails with a compass, which is presumably like a precision instrument back then. (laughs) They're not just handing out compasses on the street or anything. No, no, uh, they argue about whether Bronn should wear his gold cloak as the leader of the City Watch, uh, Bronn, of course, is concerned with uh, function over form. Tyrion is concerned with the form. Uh, Bronn is bored; he's annoying Tyrion. This a lot of fun. This the interplay between these two guys. They're apparently in this uh, Tyrion's chamber in order to plan the defense of the of the city against uh, upcoming Stannis attack. And um, Varys arrives on scene to complement uh, to compliment the gold cloaks that have been doing a better job of taking care of his thieves. Thievery is apparently down. And it's because Bronn and his uh, his gold cloaks are just killing known thieves, so they now only have to worry about the unknown thieves. And when Tyrion apparently believes at least somewhat in due process, calls Bronn out on it, I think they've had a discussion about don't just kill people. Bronn explains that uh, when there is a siege, the thieves steal all the food, and then starvation becomes the biggest issue. And then once the, the siege is over, the thieves are rich, half the people are dead. He goes through a hole like uh, like a farm – oh, no, this – I'm sorry. That's later. So uh, they determine what the weakest point is at the city, and it's the mud gate. And they try to figure out how to defend it, and there's not enough men. Uh, there's not enough books to throw. Uh, but they do have pig shit, which, of course, is a reference to uh, what uh, Bron called the wildfire a couple episodes ago. So- oh,
0: okay. Very good. That That is something that I did not catch. Uh, but that makes yeah. a whole lot of sense because that was one of my notes. Is like, why aren't they mentioning the wildfire? Is this intentionally to surprise the audience next week when the black fire happens? Uh, but I did not catch the reference of the pig shit. That's very. I good. think it is.
1: A, I think it's a a thing where if you're paying one of the things, where if you're paying very close attention, then yes, you would pick up on it. But if you were not casual viewer, then you know it's kind of intriguing, and then you see what it is next episode. But I'm
0: definitely a casual viewer because a lot of it doesn't beg to be. Uh, Paid close attention to.
1: Okay, well, why, why don't you talk about it for an hour and a half each week? I will.
0: Thank you very and then much. They read the
1: books multiple times. Sure.
0: Uh, also, the only other thing I have is brand or Braun seems to be an expert on everything in this scene. Um, <laughs> fucking siege warfare, being a policeman, pronunciation—he seems to like just be <laughs> expert at everything.
1: That pronunciation thing was funny. Um, I will. T- I, I, I- yeah, I will say that this whole—I thing, agree with
0: you 100 percent. I do like the Tyrion and Bronn show. So, uh, yes. unlike these other uh, filler episodes or filler scenes, this is actually enjoyable.
1: Yeah, and this was like a scene where say prior episodes were the pilots, this is the in the first like half season. This is the one where the writers started getting it right. I thought um, and the the, the uh, I I did think that the siege advice and how to set the city up right and all that kind of stuff really that fit. I thought fit within uh, within bronze knowledge set. I would think. You know, if he's been a grizzled veteran of all these wars, which is, I think is what the implication is, um, the being able to pronounce the the guy's name, yeah. to that was. Uh, I would think was outside of his skill set, but I thought it was still funny. So whatever. Yeah, it's
0: still fun, yeah, because he's yeah. basically being underestimated, uh, and that's great.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right, he's changing the expectations. All right, then mm-hmm. we go back up north to the Fist of the for- First Men, and Dolores, Gren, and Sam are uh, all digging latrines, except for Sam. He's just hanging out talking bullshit. They all talk about what John's up to. Uh, Gren thinks he's probably dead, since they haven't heard from him in a while. Sam says no way, because he got a magic Valyrian sword. Uh, and while they're digging in the snow, Gren discovers a cache of dragon glass, also known as obsidian, and a horn, which is glossed over pretty quickly. Um, in the books, this is discovered by Ghost and John, um, And the horn might be important since it might be uh, the fabled horn of Joramon, which can, legend says, can level a wall uh, if it is blown.
1: Thoughts? Yeah, t- I, why are they drink, digging latrines up there why don't they just poop in the snow i,
0: I don't, thought the same thing i was like you don't have to dig a latrine this is this is a mountain just fucking shit like it's like yeah. a high plateau mountain thing just go yeah. to the edge
1: pee <laughs> off the edge no big deal Ex- exactly uh, i don't know if you noticed this and it might maybe it was the lighting but <sighs> sam's teeth looked uh, really brown in like a upsetting way uh, maybe wow. it was the light i don't know uh, because uh, even though all these people are supposed to be uh, middle ages type people they're still teeth are still generally okay but stamps were uh, like oddly brown um and then the other thing is um gosh the finding of these this these tools is just such a such a coincidence um you know i and i think this could have been corrected easily if it was like put in a realistic uh or not realistic but like a a landmark you know if there was like a circle of stones and then this was the middle stone or some shit like that um, I don't think we're oriented to where the importance of what this place is. It just seems like dumb ha- fucking luck. Yeah, and they're out just out in the middle of snow, whereas if they explain in the show a little bit more, this is the Fist of the First Men, if we knew actually what that meant beyond just the name of it, and then this happened to be like the perfect circle in the middle, and, I, you know, I don't know. What's crazy um, is in the
0: book, when Ghost dis- discovers it, John brings it up, and it's wrapped in a um, the cloak of a Night's Watchman, just like it is here now. But they uh, think John comments on it can't be that old since like the cloth has still like been preserved. So it leads you to believe did um, Benjamin Stark bury it there? We don't know. It seems like a recent discovery yeah. and a recent dig, which makes more sense for a dog to dig it up than you know some jabronis just digging in the snow.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I don't even think that you need they needed to make. I would rather they had this make sense than have this be like some mystical thing. But I don't, I, cause I don't think that the mystical aspect of just happening to find this here and there adds anything to what it is. Uh, instead it just kind of led to confusion for me. Plus uh, in, in, in retrospect, what does this do? Mm-hmm.
0: I think the only reason this cash comes through is Sam uses uh dragon glass to kill one, uh, other.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But, but in the book, there's more import because uh, Sam is like, oh, we got to start producing more of this stuff. we got to find more obsidian. And they really don't take that that direction in this show at all.
1: No, instead, I think they that's what they lose at Hardhome, uh, at the Battle of Hardhome. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, next we go back to Harrenhal. And Arya's carrying some water. She's knocked over by some jerk. Uh, Jockin appears, and no one thinks this is odd that Jockin and Arya speak all the time, apparently. Openly in the very public <laughs> place. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's like a big brother, little sister program. I don't know. It's kind of like, Oh, Jockin's uh, trying to get his dick wet with a 13 um, like year old girl younger uh so she wants him to kill tywin and he says he can't do it he doesn't explain why exactly presumably it's too big of a kill but we talked a little no, bit I earlier think he about does want to kill he says he he can do it he just can't promise it quickly because she's like i need him dead now and he's like sorry oh gotcha 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 okay yeah and like we talked about earlier he explains why they can't just go kill people i don't buy it but whatever um so he asks to give uh, her to give him another name she says jockin and this is almost like a uh, I wish for a million wishes" type version. Yes, we <laughs> yes, talked yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah. So he thinks it's a joke, but she's absolutely serious about it. And uh, he, she agrees to unname him, but only if he helps her escape. And she agrees to that arrangement. And he says a girl lacks honor, but then again, you know, he she said any name, or he said any name. He gave her name. Kill him. You know what I mean? So. Um, his, his perception of her lack of honor, I thought he was a little, had a little less honor in this situation.
0: Yeah. Uh, this whole thing is, uh, you know, it's definitely clever on Arya's part, but, uh, I think if this is your first time listening to any of our episodes, first of all, I'm sorry. Second of all, I have brought up that I think this whole thing with the, the wishes is something right out of, you know, the three wishes from a genie. There's three of them. There's a little girl involved. And I think it is totally made up by Jaken in, in order to ingratiate Arya and get her to basically recruit her to be a faceless man, man.
1: Yeah, do we ever hear that, like, the, the we we do definitely hear life pays for death later. Um, but we but never get this, the, like, you save me, one so kind of I've thing. got to kill,
0: you've saved three of us, and the two other people were Rose and Biter, the two oh, guys right, that want to rape right, her. Yeah. So she saved three people from death. So she gets three kills, and we just don't see this, not even hinted at in the books and the thousands and thousands of pages, uh, definitely not in the show. So it leads me to believe that this was just made up.
1: Yeah, if you were like an ER doctor, you could have like anybody you want killed if this was actually going on. Hey,
0: don't joke about that. There have been serial killers that were uh, nurses.
1: Well, yeah, I know that. But to like, to, like say Talisa, Talisa could have like the entire Stark or the entire Lannister uh, family killed um, under this this f- supposed theory because she saved all the people in the battlefield. Oh, that's true. Yeah, she could just yeah. come
0: and say, "Listen, I have uh, it's written down here. I've got ten thousand people S- saved, so I'm going
1: S- to cut all this dude's leg,
0: <laughs> kill Walter Frey." So I'd like to kill the entire Dallas uh, Cowboy football team and <laughs> what? I'm just saying like if you had 10,000 people let's say you banked 10,000 death wishes and you went to uh, the faceless man and said listen it's all documented I've I'm an ER surgeon I've saved all these people I get this many deaths mm-hmm. how are you not going to kill the Dallas Cowboys
1: You're right except before I did that I would put all the my money on the Dallas on the, their opponent that week <laughs> yeah. yeah You're absolutely
0: right. Yeah. No, flawless logic. I like it. Okay, so uh let's see um where do we go next? We go to King's Landing, correct? Correct. All right. Tyrion and Cersei are cordially eating dinner for some reason, uh, and they're discussing whether Joffrey should lead the defense uh, when Stannis finally attacks. Cersei thinks it's a bad idea, then drops a bomb. She has Tyrion's whore. Um, she says she did it because Tyrion has shipped off Marcella and is actively trying to get her son killed. Um, when the whore is brought in by, I don't know... One of the Kingsguard, probably Sir Marin Trant. Um, it turns out to be just fucking Roz. Thank God. Who cares? About no,
1: her? I do.
0: No, you don't. I love uh, you, Roz. Tyrion uh, gives nothing away, and Roz plays along, hinting that she expects to be played, like extravagantly for this. She's like, I hope I'm not forgotten, uh, which I thought was a nice little touch on the show's part, so I will give him that. Um And when she's taken out, Cersei is obviously taking pleasure in Tyrion's suffering. And Tyrion promises revenge, says something crazy like, you know, when you think you're happy, your victory will turn to ash in your mouth. Some crazy nonsense. Later, Tyrion uh, runs off to meet up with Shay and tells her that they need to be even more careful because people definitely want to hurt them. And Shay says she'll protect them and cut off their faces, which I enjoyed. Um, and Sirs, uh, expresses his love by taking possession of her, uh, by using the line, you're mine, uh, which is a very creepy line and really doesn't work in real life.
1: I have a lot of things to say about this, these, this two scenes. First of all, they're eating lamprey pie. Would you ever eat an eel?
0: Uh, I mean, it depends on how much butter, um... Like, like, what are the sides? Can I mix the mashed potatoes with the eel? No, it's a pie. I mean, I I don't know what goes I mean, on. I, I just, no, I can dip a pie in mashed potatoes. Don't tell me I can't.
1: <sighs> okay, I don't know. Just the, the, I don't like seafood, so yeah. But like, the, hey, you're the right. idea, uh, George R. R. Martin
0: drops lampreys. Uh, Nonstop. Yeah, he's just like eels this, eels that, and I'm like thinking, does this motherfucker eat eels in real life, or did he read like in the 14th century some weird French kingdom ate nothing but lampreys? No, I think this is actually cake.
1: like a thing over in the United Kingdom, and Ugh. they actually have like canned eels, and uh, it's all real gross. Yeah, and I don't like it. That so, sounds pretty gross. anyways, um, I, the conversation that Joffrey and Cersei were having about, or that Cersei and, and Tyrion were having about Joffrey's role in the war. I mean, Tyrion is absolutely right that that Joffrey needs to be out on the battlefront to show that his men that that he's has strength and is backing them. Yeah, it's called PR. It, yeah, I, and I don't know why Cersei doesn't realize that. I, I don't think this is a matter of trying to get Joff killed. I think it's a matter of him showing to actually be a king who is willing to lead her people. And she's either being really short-sighted or just stupid. Yeah, I don't it doesn't know. make sense. You're right. No, she, I, she, I could be,
0: she could be about it and say, listen, I don't want him to be in any real harm at all. But yes, he can do his little uh, dance and pony show. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, have him totally at the top fine. of a castle as far, I mean, outside the range of a right an archer and just have you know have him scream go fight them and then you know i, I this whole th- they also had this conversation about the little man between your legs leads you i never like this whole um uh, penis makes decisions kind of thing and it seems to be a trope in a lot of things especially in this show eh, i don't know <laughs> you think your
0: penis doesn't make decisions
1: no uh, at least not consciously <laughs> it makes decisions <laughs> to go to sleep after i touch it that's how that no. much no um so that uh, so as far as the prostitute so the whole reason this is like a big thing is that shay that that tywin told Tyrion not to bring a whore back to king's landing how does tywin know who the whore that Tyrion was with in that camp like how's this not just like a rando whore well that's that's a
0: lot of people because of the way it turns out that shay ends up in tywin's bed thinks that she was planted by Tywin the whole time. Really? Yeah. Is like, there is there
1: more support for that in the no, book? No,
0: not at all. But it's a great theory oh. and um uh in the, in the show it doesn't make any sense because the in the book Cersei pulls a girl that Tywin that Tyrion was seeing in the in the books at a whorehouse. So it was a fellow whore, but he was going to a whorehouse because the whorehouse had a hidden um, like back door or hidden underground escape passage so he could go to the house that he was keeping right. Shay at. So yeah. it made more sense that Cersei was following him. They found out that Tyrion was going into a whorehouse, meeting a particular whore in a particular room, and Cersei grabbed that, that person. Here it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because Roz is just some... It's not a random whore. We've seen her before, but she works for Littlefinger and Tyrion. Well, no,
1: there there is a tie between her and, and Tyrion. Please continue. I mean, well, besides so, the so, the Joffrey thing. Yeah, yeah. So the the Shay thing doesn't make any sense unless there was Tywin imposed a no whores period um, on on Tyrion. Otherwise, I don't know how we would ever know who Shea was or wh- whatever. And I, I don't know. I, I don't think that Tywin would forbid all whores at the capital, but. Maybe he is. I don't know, but yes, uh, Tyrion did bang Ros Ros in a prior episode. And actually, gave her a necklace with a lion on it, and I think it's season two, episode one. I read this online before you called me out on it. So that's actually the tie-in. I didn't notice it, um, which that that makes a lot of sense because I didn't, I didn't was not able to put this together. I just at first I assumed it was a. Littlefinger, thing. Littlefinger knew that she was under, undermining him and so kind of threw her to the dogs it was actually because Tyrion gave her a lion-shaped necklace in the beginning of the season.
0: No, I think I'm remembering now, and it is definitely the end of last season now that you say it, but that's only because I've watched all these episodes back to back to back, and it was the scene where Theon's uh, getting giving it to her from behind, and he says, you have some very wealthy friends. I remember yes. that scene specifically because we were talking at great length about Theon's member. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he com- Theon comments about her necklace and saying that she has some very uh, wealthy friends. Um, yeah, so that makes a hell of a lot of sense.
1: And that's a good subtle tie in. I think I it's, think that was that's it, good writing.
0: I I agree, but it's a little bit too subtle because I I didn't notice. It. I mean, I'm saying, and you didn't notice it besides no, the fact no, that no. you. Uh, read this online but um, but yeah I didn't see the tie in regardless uh, Roz they needed a whore and what are they going to do Get cast another person right. fuck no they already have their stand in for everything sex position uh, Well, I, sex did, I did
1: like how you picked up on that she thought that she was going to become wealthy as a result of this I didn't really pick up on that what did and- you think she meant by um, I hope you remember me I don't know I don't really know and I, I at the same time I was wondering why, why she doesn't deny it. I haven't fucked him since whenever, you know. I, I it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um. So, but your explanation actually makes a ton of sense. Oh, well, um, is that a compliment? Re- Thank you. Yeah. No. But what What is going on here tonight? Why are you thinking <laughs> <commanding> about this? <laughs> no, we Christ. are
0: guys. We are friends in real life. Uh, the yeah. animosity is yeah. just for the show.
1: So then, uh, <laughs> the other part of this thing is I don't understand. How Shade doesn't have more awareness of the amount of danger that she's in right now. I mean, she was a, a battle camp prostitute. How does she not know that she <laughs> could be in serious trouble, especially if Tyrion's telling her you're in serious trouble? Like, all oh, this, I'm going to cut their faces off. It's so stupid. Yeah. Uh, you'd think that someone of her position would have more world knowledge and more world. I mean, just be, she'd be more careful. Like, I, 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 I can't stand her because of that fact, I think is. Did, her character doesn't make any sense. Her history, where she is now, and uh, yeah, well, yeah. In the show, uh,
0: Shay's more of a uh, almost an arrested development, or you know, kind of like a, a young woman. She's definitely younger, but oh, she I thought acts. you were going to
1: say a young Tobias Fuque. <laughs> She's uh, therapist moment. and uh, <laughs> what is it? Um, it's a it's a, uh, analyst and therapist. <laughs>
0: yes, analyst. <laughs> yes. Uh, but no, um, in the book, Shay is playing a little girl. That's like her stage persona. Um, she plays a naive little girl and it ties into, and it makes sense in the books because Tyrion, he lost his virginity and married uh, a girl when he was 13 uh, roughly the same age as him. And she was told by Tywin to be a prostitute, but obviously she wasn't. We found that out later. Um, so that explains why Tyrion's into Shay and why is so naive and doesn't understand why uh, she's in danger. But in the show, it's once again the show invention, trying to marry back to the books, and because of all these little changes, it just fucking doesn't work. And it doesn't make no, any sense. No, it doesn't.
1: Yeah, she should be more street smart. You would uh, think. So next we go to Rob and Roose and Rob's war tent, and uh, I love how Roose keeps referring to my bastard is approaching Winterfell. Um, I mean, I guess he can't really call him his son, but the the ruse's constant use of my bastard is is kind of funny. and I don't think that's something that Ned would have done to John. So no, but um,
0: what do you want to call him? Like, hey my uh, my uh, son that I don't talk about. My shit son. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, Do I half son. I don't know. His his use of it is it just always struck me as as funny. So Rob wants to send word to him uh, to uh, Roos's bastard that he's going to offer terms to the Iron Islanders. Everyone who who surrenders will be able to go free, except for Theon. They're going to hunt Theon down like a, a, a like a dog. At the same time, Talisa arrives for a booty call. Uh, Roos takes off and doesn't. I mean, I don't know why right? Roos didn't just stay in cock block. It seems more sense to me. Uh, Rob starts crying about his situation. You know, and to be fair to Rob, I mean, he's like 17 or 18, and this, this whole life's falling apart. His mother's just betrayed him. Uh, all the siblings are captured or dead, or it's, it's, he's in dire straits. But uh, they talk for a few minutes, and Rob's kind of overwhelmed. So, Talisa dis- discusses how she ended up being a Florence Nightingale. Apparently, her brother almost died, and a slave helped them. They were from Volantis. Which my understanding of Atlantis is that there is a very strict segregation between slaves and, and the slave owners. Yeah, they
0: have tattoos on their faces, for Christ's yeah,
1: sake. Yeah, in order to like differentiate them. So a slave helped her brother who had drowned, even though it was punishable by death. So she no longer wanted to live in a slave city, and she also didn't want to waste her life on having fun anymore. Um, long, stupid story. I didn't really care. And apparently uh, it got Rob so hot that her brother almost died that he he, (laughs) he's going to marry the Frey girl and he's in love and they uh, make sweet love on the ground um, in an open tent where anybody can walk in and he's just betrayed his his promise to the Freys.
0: Lots of stuff. So first thing is, uh, I guess Rob is finally taking up Roose's suggestion to have his bastard attack Winterfell. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. uh, and he's introduced it before. So that he just wore him down. I guess he kept pushing it. So uh, I guess it's coming to fruition. Uh, two. Uh, who the fuck is Talisa that she can just walk into the king's tent uh without being announced by a guard or something else to break up fucking war council? Uh, it just seems a little crazy to me.
1: Yeah, and where is the rest of the war council? And it, uh, yeah, it, it's all convenient stuff. I think.
0: Yeah and uh 3 what was her original business by going to talk to Rob because she doesn't say anything besides what's up and Rob just starts talking so we don't find her uh reason for coming to visit him even if it was just made up so that she could see him because he love she's wants to see him uh this seems a little it's all convenience you're absolutely right
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) she walked in uh did you say something oh oh okay (laughs) (laughs) i thought you said my name that's why i came in uh hey oh
0: so hey how's it going yeah it just seemed a little bit too convenient and you're absolutely right this is this uh, goddamn show invention and like i'm I'm sitting there watching the scene like where they're like making out and we see talisa's backside um and i'm just feeling nothing (laughs) absolutely nothing <laughs> just, your, lo-
1: your loins weren't stirring
0: no not, my heart wasn't <laughs> stirring my mind wasn't stirring i think my, I was going not. cross-eyed <laughs> like what a terrible waste of time um but it's you know it's shorthand for this romance but uh like i said it's just terribly written so
1: well, yeah we talked about it prior episode where the the one that actually is that this is substituting for that that version of the romance where he's marrying the jane pool um, or is that her name, Jane Pool? Jane Westerling, but Jane it Westerling. doesn't matter.
0: That's that's fucking George R. R. Martin naming several people Jane. Don't it's worry.
1: so it's so much more earned than this version of it. Um, so right, but there
0: was no character development with that that girl in the book, so they needed to
1: make it. I
0: I I will forgive it in the fact that Talisa, yes, is a show invention, but. Because she gets killed in a brutal way in the Red Wedding, spoiler <laughs> alert, I gave two spoiler words. I, I, I shouldn't do that. Because she gets killed in the Red Wedding, and the book readers didn't see that coming, um, It was, I think her whole purpose is to shock not only the average show, but also the people who read the books. So I'll give it to them a little bit. But yes, this sure. is hard to watch. Sure, sure, I agree with
1: you. So where do we go next, Doug?
0: Okay, so we go to Harrenhal again, and Hot Pie, Gendry, and Arya are sneaking around the castle. Hot Pie is talking about food because he's fat, and that's what fat people do, and isn't that hilarious? Um, they question, Gendry questions whether Jaqen is going to come through uh, when he said to uh, they'll be able to walk through the gates at midnight. Uh, but Arya stands by him and says they should trust Jaken. Uh They start heading towards the gate, and they see guards, and when they get closer, they find out they've all been murdered and propped up to look as if they're still standing guard. And they walk out the front door.
1: I didn't like a uh, hot pie stupidity of this scene. <laughs> it seemed uh, uh, ridiculous. It rambling on about food, people like love hot pie. I I think people just love like a stupid guy, a stupid fat guy. Um, I, he's yeah, I, more charming in the books for sure. I will tell
0: you that he's he's a stupid guy, but not like uh, he's just naive. I think in the in the in the books in the show he's fucking stupid. You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah, like like he's almost like uh, what was that guy's Bubba from uh, Forrest Gump, where he's just naming off dishes and he's going to get them caught. I mean, you would think that he would have sen- some sense of like the gravity of the situation or the danger that they're in, and he's too busy talking about like other food. Um, I never like I never really liked that character because he just seems so over the top. I mean, even if he is a big fat guy and just wants food, it just seems so. St- I don't know. He
0: didn't. He didn't laugh out loud at the fat guy wanting to talk about food.
1: No. And then why are they even taking him? Why is he even involved in this plan? I, I guess because he's part of the OG crew. I don't know. I, I. It doesn't make that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Other than maybe he has the connection in the kitchen and can get some on food. But uh, yeah, you know what? I think
0: it. I think you know what you say that now. But I think that's actually uh, this is my ignorance. But I think that's what happens in the books. She's like, "Oh, we got to bring hot pie because he's in it th- in the kitchen, and he can bring food. And I believe he does bring food with him, so they can eat something as a escape." So, good call yeah. out there.
1: Yeah, I guess th- that would make sense. So, okay. So next we go to uh, Stannis, and he's on a boat. He's talking to Davos. Uh, they're due at King's Landing within a day or so, depending on the weather. Uh, Stannis admires Davos and uh, he, he, for leaning into the position that he's taken as the the onion knight. He, he's kind of, despite the fact the old money, is looking down on him. Davos de- declares himself as the uh, or takes as his sigil an onion. Um, so he kind of admires Davos for being who Davos kind of being who Davos is. Stannis describes how he feels slighted. He held on to Storms End during the Robert's Rebellion. Everyone kind of forgot, that then once Robert took over, he gave Renly Storm's End, and uh, this really upsets Stannis, obviously, because Stannis is a guy who does his duty, didn't get the recognition for holding Storm's End, uh, but he kind of shrugs it off because he does his duty. So they kind of go into a little bit more of the backstory about the siege of Storm's End, how Davos saved everyone by being able to bring uh, onions, and there was a salt, salt tack or beef tack or whatever the heck it's called. And after Stannis goes to the uh, – they basically ate old McDonald's farm while they were waiting for him to bring <laughs> the onions versus the horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, so then Stannis uh, says he held on the Storm's End because of his duty. This is also the reason that he didn't question Robert's assignment of Storm's End to – Renly kind of talked about it out of uh, order here. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Stannis tells Davos that he would like Davos to be the hand. Once he becomes king, Davos uh, somewhat reluctantly accepts it. And we started to get the, a better picture of the uh, sassy coach Davos. also like the scene because it, I, I thought it really gave a good insight into who Stannis was. Stannis only cares about rules and who, what uh, honor and all this sort of thing. And for Stannis to have actually saved Storm's end to this, this siege and then not have gotten upset, at least publicly, about not receiving it as the reward for doing even though he's the older of the two younger brothers to Robert, really uh, paints a, a really good picture of who Stannis is. And also, uh, this was a good scene that it gives a little bit more bra- background into D'Avo's role and relationship with Stannis as well.
0: Yeah, uh, I will say that on your last point right before the the background, um, Stannis is a sympathetic character. He is an asshole. He's kind of a dick, but he does follow the rules to an extent that he almost has honor by default. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he sticks to the rules. This is what the law says. This is what we're going to do. Um, I was told to do this, so I did it. Uh, you've got to have respect uh, for somebody who does that. So that's why he's a s- somewhat sympathetic character. Um, you especially
1: know. in a especially in a feudalistic society, where it's not like uh, there's it's not more dynamic and the, there's not more information. I mean these these kingdoms rise and fall based on the people sticking to their roles within them, and even though like it's kind of shitty, like it's almost like a pyramid scam, it does to a large extent protect the lowest of the low because as long as you do what you're supposed to do, then you are supposedly protected by your lord. Supposedly, even though they, even though they do get wrapped up in the Game of Thrones, but. Um, yeah, but I, I also wonder, like, how good of a leader would Stannis be because of his adherence to to the rule. I mean, I don't, even though this Davos thing, where he forgave Davos for being a smuggler because Davos saved Storm's End, you know, to go and cut off his fingers afterward. I don't, I don't know that that makes like a lot of sense, you know. I I, I will say that
0: it people appreciate the law and order guy until they get in trouble with the law. Uh, if that makes sense. And I think
1: everybody back then, or at least in this world, was kind of, uh, in trouble with the law most of the time, you know?
0: Well, I, that's what I mean. It's just like, they want to believe that, um, their King has a personality or the person they follow, um, is just at like, and, and that's strange to say, but he's just, Regardless of what the rules are. And I think it has to do with the rules of man versus what is morality, I guess. And I feel like Stannis will just be a rule monger regardless of what the situation calls for. Yeah. So, like, if you get in trouble for, I don't know, poaching so your family doesn't starve, uh, Stannis is not going to take mercy on you and you will hang uh, kind of stuff regardless of...
1: That's what I was getting at. That's I think that's the real problem with him is that he's probably too much of a stickler. Right. You
0: need you need to show judgment, I think, or have your own moral compass um, outside of what is prescribed to you. And I think that's Stannis' problem. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And actually, uh, D- Doug, if you could explain a little bit further, if there's more information from the books, and I don't remember if there is. How did uh, Davos ended up being enlisted by whoever to bring food to Storm's End? That is
0: a great question, and I have no idea. I remember thinking that at the time. I'm like, okay, so we we had just taken, I think we were introduced to Davos by saying he delivered food to Stannis during the siege, but we don't get any any background as to why he felt compelled to do this action. Um, Yeah. At least I don't know. I mean, uh, once again, this is my ignorance, but... I remember that being a big question mark when I read it. I was like, "Okay, so he's all about Stannis, but why was he about Stannis to begin with?" And I just don't you, know.
1: You think if he was a smuggler, he would he would only do it in order to make a huge profit, which would not tie into what would make Stannis happy? You know, if he showed up and just got rich on the shit and then took off.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't make a lot yeah. of sense. And and one of our listeners, and we have at least one because they left a comment uh, on ashamedothrones.com, dot com, which you can do as well. But more importantly. Rate and review us, because that helps even more. Uh, but please let us know, is there a reason why Davos saved Stannis's bacon during the Siege of uh, Storm's End? Because I don't remember it. All right, anything else? Uh, oh, one thing I didn't want to point out about this scene is I thought it was terrible. It was a terrible si- time to have this scene because it was an expository scene. Uh, and I feel like we got another uh, exposition uh, scene... With Talisa and her backstory, just, yes, just two episodes back, or two scenes back, and you don't put expository scenes towards the end of an episode. It's just a fucking yeah. Terrible we talked design. about that,
1: yeah. But the th- last th- last yeah, we, third of the episode, you shouldn't have this kind of right. But we I, talked this about was it before. Little...
0: But in this particular situation, I prefer Stannis' backstory to this ridiculous Talisa story. But still, uh, they could have put it at the beginning of the episode, and I would have been totally fine with it.
1: I think that though the, the the fact that it happened like on a ship kind of at least provided like a background where it was not like snooze out but yeah it, I agree with you. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't
0: it, like I said, I have no problem with the scene itself. I have this a problem with where the scene presents itself in the sequence of events of this particular episode.
1: And one other thing is his dumb kids. That <laughs> was a dumb kid. I, I I have he's shown up so many times in the last two seasons. And I do not remember this fucking kid whatsoever. <laughs> he was yeah. such a zero. He is a um, zero. Yeah, and it's kind of funny to see him. I did remember in the prior watches of the series that this kid died at the Battle of uh, Blackwater. Yeah, so you won't have to put up with him very long, will you? But I did not recall that he had like all of these scenes uh, and talked to all these people. I did not remember them at all. But uh, Anyway, so where do we go next, Doug? All right, so then we go to
0: King's Landing and, uh, Joffrey is walking with Tyrion and Varys, and I guess Joffrey's just learned of the downfall of Winterfell, and he wants to attack the Starks right now, he thinks they're weak, and both Varys and Tyrion look at each other going, uh, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard, (laughs) because literally we are preparing for a siege with Stannis, we can't attack anybody, we're just trying to not die, um... Joffrey also talks a bunch of noise about how he's going to kick Stannis' ass. Uh, If he sees him, give him a... He's like, Stannis doesn't smile, but if I see him, I'll give him a red smile, if you know what I mean, because the red will be blood, and the smile will be where I cut him. Uh, Joffrey's just the worst, and anyway, he leaves. Tyrion uh, asks Varys what the hell he ultimately wants, but Varys kind of sidesteps that question and asks Tyrion what he... Uh, is up to, and Tyrion gives this backstory about another exposition scene, Uh, but I didn't mind it because it was well done, Um, about how he was nominated to be in charge of the plumbing of Casterly Rock, and he totally fucking crushed it, Uh, and now he's playing um, this new game, I guess the Game of Thrones, uh, as a new hand, and he's doing well, and he's actually enjoying it despite himself. Um, We get this line, where is the god of tits and wine? Uh, which is pretty great, and we should oh, sail there
1: immediately. Yes, we
0: should get yes. sail. We'll see if Jet Blue goes because I want to watch DirecTV on the way. Uh, Baris tells Tyrion that Danny is still alive, and Tyrion says that's the least of their problems. And I will end it there. But I will say that I like how watching this a second time, uh, the coming of the dragons to King's Landing is a great analog to the White Walkers up north. Um, this is the Lannisters' ultimate real enemy in the South. Just like up North, the ultimate enemy is the White Walkers. So I like that juxtaposition that I'm just noticing for the first time.
1: Yeah. And goddamn, I hate that Joffrey. Oh, man. That, yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. He, he Could they have cast job. that kid any better? I mean, I, I've right. never seen a kid with a, a face that you want to just punch the shit out of. Yeah. yeah. And he does a like, thing where like, when he says something that uh, he like when he's trying to talk tough, he kind of does this like pop up and down a little bit thing. Yeah, and it's it's uh, I, I guess that kid probably chose to do that, but man, it's a very effective. And I think that I think we've talked about this. So I don't think he's like going to keep acting, or at least he said he might not keep acting.
0: Oh, I have uh, no idea, but I mean, this yeah. is the the role of a lifetime, and he nails it. I mean, yeah, like yeah. legitimately, he does a great job. Uh, he does a better job than a lot of actors on the show that are much older than him. So bravo I think to that it's
1: kid. An uh, that his face is a face you just want to punch the shit out of, uh, and just like his the things that he says, like he's gonna give, if Tywin Lannister shows up, he's gonna give him the Glasgow smile. I I mean, just where's this <laughs> stuff even coming from? Uh, he he's so delusional in like a crazy way, you just can't help but hate him. But then again, I also have read that like he's um, he's the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> No, no, no! That he like was reading. He, he was like fucking fourteen or whatever, reading Kierkegaard on the set. Like he could comprehend it. Like he's probably also like a, a insufferable shit in real life, but from a different manner. But, but I don't know that. So I apologize. Uh, that I guy. heard he was the nicest
0: guy in the world, but that's by the same. You know, that's by his fellow actors that might have hated him for whatever reason and just talking nice. Actors are the worst. Um, after watching the Talking Dead, I. <laughs>
1: Uh, never I,
0: They they had every actor from The Walking Dead on, and they were such fucking. They were such stereotypical actors. I hated
1: it. Gotcha. So it's also I liked uh, I, for the the interactions between Tyrion and um, Varys. You see, setting up all this stuff that we know is coming in season five and six, and how Varys is really starting to realize how great Tyrion is, how he's um, maybe a future leader. It's also funny. I, I think that seeing that this is kind of. Uh, a pinnacle of Tyrion's influence in King's Landing, uh, where you know in the beginning of season one we saw him basically—he was like a boy band member getting blowjobs at at whorehouses, and that was the extent of his existence. Yep. Um. So I, I do like how he's risen so quickly, and he's so great at 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 uh, managing people and figuring these things out. Um, so this is, I I like the scene a lot and I I really like the interactions between Varys and, um, Tyrion. Um, so
0: I would agree with you and, uh, looking forward to season six when Varys comes, shows back up in, um, wherever the fuck they are, Marine, uh, they meet on the side of the castle overlooking, uh, if not the sea, but like the, um, I guess the desert, I don't know. But they meet on a balcony similar to this scene, and they're just staring off into the distance and talking to each other. And that's how they're introduced again, and I like the symmetry of the show. So as much as I yeah. piss on the showrunners, that was a good um, uh, tie-in that I'm noticing just now.
1: Yeah, it, it's funny to see like the, the evolution of the relationship between Varys and Tyrion versus like, where other characters are now versus where they were like in season one, like although Danny's more powerful, I don't feel like Danny's really evolved that much, whereas Tyrion and and Varys, their relationship has evolved so much, it's crazy. Um, so, anyways, I agree with that. Yep. Yeah, he Tyrion's definitely made the biggest strides and has the less least amount of um, as we refer to a lot in season six wheel spinning as he's gotten to that place. Oh yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so next we go to. We go back to uh, Karth and Danny Mormont and some rando are somewhere in Karth. It's not entirely clear where they are. Uh, Danny, of course, has just had her dragon stolen from her. Jorah wants the peace out of there. Danny wants to stay. She's not going to leave without her dragons. Has like their ransom moment. Not without my dragons. And Give me some ships. <laughs> she no no no. Uh, <laughs> it's a uh, Mel Gibson line from the movie Ransom. Oh yeah. Not without my son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. Danny's, uh, she's kind of insufferable, insisting that they uh, – that Jorah takes her to the House of the Undying. She insists, though, that even though she didn't birth the dragons, they are her children. Uh, Jorah is overdramatic in talking about how he would live <laughs> – he just said a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. and So she uses her feminine wiles by touching him. <laughs> In The face, and you know, who knows what's going through his head? He might He's think like, that's oh, yeah, it's the nice, night, Mazel Tov. Um, so,
0: so is that a Black Eyed Peas reference? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, that song is so terrible. And one of my, yeah, one of no, my-
0: no, it's it terrible. It like I listened, like, uh, the wife had it on on some like kind of radio station the other day, and I actually listened to the lyrics for the first time, like, ever. Yes, oh, I, I, I just the only thing that stuck in my head for the past 15, 20 years, or whatever that song's been around was tonight's gonna be a good night. I haven't listened to the rest of the lyrics. And when I did, my God, that's the dumbest fucking song I've ever heard in my life.
1: So when my cousin got married about a year ago, they had it up in North Carolina. You know, I've got a lot of cousins. They're all a lot of fun. And the entire weekend, I just kept like every opportunity would start singing like that lyric from that song. <laughs> Mazel you know, think, Yeah. Two nights, to Night. And then we'll just text it to all of them. And then we got the DJ at the wedding a couple days later, played it, I think, like four times during the <laughs> wedding. And people went nuts during it. And so now we're still like, it's a joke. Because it's such a terrible song. It but is anyways, a fucking awful song. All right, yeah. continue. So then it becomes apparent that Jora is going to take Danny to the uh, House of the Undying, which I don't know why she couldn't just find her way there. Or uh, just
0: ask literally anybody, hey, uh, yeah. you homeless guy, where's the House of the Undying? I'll give you, I don't know the crumbs off my shirt. <laughs> like it doesn't <laughs> seem like something that would be hard to discover.
1: Yeah. And you know what? Uh, Doug, one thing I was really disappointed that I missed last episode was talking about the, uh, lady with the lacquer face mask.
0: Oh, Kavothi or whatever the fuck her name is.
1: Yeah. So I, I read online that she and Melisandra are the only two known shadow binders from the city from of the Yeah. Which that is some crazy shit, isn't it? Yeah, it's just I K- Kavone, we, we've, seen Melis- we've seen Melisandre, we've seen Melisandra harness the power of the shadow binder. Lacquer face Lady, I don't think we've seen her power other than In she the book, she appears to
0: bad. in the book she appears to Danny uh in like almost like a dream state. She shows up, talks to her and then disappears all of a sudden as if she's like teleporter herself there. Um okay. and then Danny sees her when she's hallucinating uh in the Dothraki Sea after being dehydrated and Uh, bleeding um so we don't we don't know what her powers are but yes
1: but she she shows up more than just like happened to have these like random interactions at uh karth she showed up she doesn't
0: show up nearly as much as um melisandre does so we don't know Mm -hmm. nearly as much about kavoth but she seems to be on danny's side at least for now or that's the way it's presented so uh she seems to be some kind of like uh benef uh benefactor i guess
1: so I think that I read online that those are the only two shadow binders that we know of, which I think the shadow binding powers the ability to manipulate shadows to do things, which obviously we've seen Melisandra do that. I don't think we saw Lacquerface Lady actually do it, but I think it's acknowledged that she can. And like that the whole like um, uh, legend behind a shy is really interesting to me and I, I wish they'd go into it further on the show, but I don't know that they've gone that much further into it in the book.
0: All right, so I'll give you the back da- background that I know about Ashai. Ashai is yeah. supposedly where dragons come from or at least that's the legend. Nobody I think,
1: co- they call it I'm Ashai. sorry to interrupt, but I think that the three eggs that Danny has actually came from the Shadowlands beyond Ashai.
0: Right. And they called Ashai by the shadow. So this is where it gets really Tolkien fantasy. Uh Ashai is a place that has like a ever-present shadow to the uh i guess west of it kind of like uh in lord of the rings um uh and the people there uh babies just aren't born there um people run around in these masks like F- Kvothe because it's like it's either radioactive or they can't breathe the air or something like that so there's this huge city that's there that is greatly unoccupied because people can't live there they have to import all their food there um, it's just crazy place, um, and that's basically it. It is so shrouded in mysteries. That's, that's that's all crazy. we really know.
1: Yeah. Huh. Whatever. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I want a I want like a mini series on uh, the Shadowlands beyond a shy. If you guys <laughs> I really I,
0: I, I, for our listener out there, if you want a show or a podcast that goes into great detail about um, a shy and other like. Um, Stuff that is not much Game of Thrones; it's more a Song of Ice and Fire, like the book stuff. Please check out um, a History of Westeros or Radio Westeros. They're both great, informative podcasts. Which we are not. We are just some guys who watch the show and bullshit for an hour. And you are pregnant for are pregnant. <laughs> I wish I wish we got you pregnant for watching for listening to us.
1: No, we've got this. That super sperm, though.
0: <laughs> got that super sperm. Anyway, um, one last thing I want to say about this scene is um, Jorah says something like, they are not your children. They didn't suckle at your breast, which is a kind of wink to the book readers because they absolutely in the book suckled at her breast when she Oh, I don't was. remember that. That's gross. Yeah, she was breastfeeding him. Uh, I guess uh, George R. R. Martin has a thing for breastfeeding. Maybe he watches lactation porn. We don't know because we have... Uh, what's, her, what's her face in... Um, uh, the vow, va- the veil. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Lysa Aaron. Uh, yeah. Lysa. Yep. And then this is, uh, you know, another person who's breastfeeding in the book and she's breastfeeding. Inappropriately. Yeah. Inappropriately. She's breastfeeding dragons. Um, so I, thought I would like to
1: like breastfeed a dog or something, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if the dog's hungry and you got the milk, I mean, why?
1: <laughs> all right. Where, are we, going where now? we go? Yeah, let's move on. I think oh, you oh, It's my
0: turn. Okay. So, yeah. we go back to Winterfell and Theon um wants to bury the corpses of the two children now that they've been up and Dagmar his number two guy is like, "No, no, you should let him hang for a couple more days. It'll improve morale." Um anyway, uh Theon also wants to give the parents of the children that they murdered some money for their troubles and Dagmar's like, "Their troubles are over. I fucking killed them." <laughs> So Dagmar is, you know, going for nice guy of the year here. And uh, Maester Lewin is walking by the corpses and he wants to go past him. And then he does a double take uh, and he walks towards them and stares. I guess, you know, he just isn't over it yet. Jeez. I mean, come on. Sack up.
1: Yeah, there were two things I I took away from this scene is, uh, I think that Dagmar is a bad influence on Theo. I, mean, I don't think they should be allowed to hang out <laughs> you know anymore. What? I don't
0: think he's a very nice guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, and for whatever reason, it popped into my head. Like, you, you know, when you're a kid, your mom wouldn't let you hang out with some of the seedier elements in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, and there's um, a reason. Yeah, yeah. So the, the other thing is um, I did like that they the, the show followed the book that, that um, Ocean the Gang returned to Winterfell. But I wondered what the hell she was doing out in daylight. You know, I mean, I understand that that has to happen so Lewin could see her. Yeah. But it just seemed like she's not like she's like some rando person. If Theon's walking around and
0: sees her. Did he see her in the show? Lewin saw her.
1: Oh, okay. I I missed that part. So uh, I was probably... Lewin definitely saw her. Okay. And so that's the only reason he knew that they were down there. But, uh, you know... Let's let's finish this up. Go to the next scene and we'll talk about all this in one fell swoop. So then we go to Osha doing a voiceover. She describes the plan... To when they doubled back to Winterfell after being near that farm, uh, realized that uh, now now the the viewer realizes that everyone was alive. It was actually the farmer kids that shittily enough that uh, Brand sent to that farm to be to as like a compensation to that farmer. Uh, we it pans around see the get along gang. It's kind of sleeping except for Brand's still awake. I think the presumption is that OSHA, uh, her words have traveled over to Brand. She. Of course, says during her dialogue, I don't want the little lords to be troubled by what's going what I'm talking about or what discussing. So uh, apparently Osha, for reasons that are still not entirely clear to me, is essentially a mother to Brandon Rickon at this point.
0: Yeah, uh, I will say that I was wrong last week or the week before um, because I, I I thought, well, OK, these, the show chose to have them range far and wide instead of just going out for a little bit and coming back and going into the crypts, Um, and I was wrong because it is fucking ridiculous that they would go out for an entire day during daylight hours, go all the way to this farm and then walk back in the river. I presume all day and not get caught. Uh, and then somehow sneak back into the castle. That doesn't make any sense in the book. They sneak out of the castle, go for a little bit. They do sneak back in the river, but they get back into the crypts before anybody is awake uh, and that makes a little yeah. bit more sense. Uh, so I didn't like this book change. I thought it was just dragging it out. But once again, we do have uh, Bra- uh, Brand getting guilted for his actions, um, just like John was guilted for his actions earlier in the episode.
1: Yeah this uh, this episode, I think it was supposed to be a reveal that the that Brand and Rickon are still alive because uh, I think the viewers supposed to assume that they were dead. But it really kind of went out with a whimper. Um, and that was kind of, I, th- I think a lot of what when we walk away from these episodes and say was well, a good one or a bad one, it's what was the ending note, and this ending note was just kind of like, oh, they're alive, they're just sitting down there, which is kind of uh kind of boring. You know? Yeah,
0: would you? I mean, we're gonna have to use our imaginations. But like when you watch this the first time, since you didn't see the read the books at this point, were you relieved or were you just like, oh, okay?
1: I think it was just oh, okay, because. I didn't really care that much about Brandon Rickon.
0: <laughs> That's you fucked know? up to say, but uh, I would agree with you at this point, especially uh, the way the show has presented it.
1: Yeah, because the book has not uh, has done, or the, I'm sorry, the show had done a very poor job of communicating that like they have like su- supernatural abilities, or that brand is actually presumably important, important for the. Yeah, yeah it, it just seemed like some kid, and I mean, I don't want some kid to die, but you know. I I didn't really like. I wasn't invested in his story. Sure, you know. I think we've talked about it before, too. That the characters in the show are just puppets. I don't look at them. I don't really like see them as people for the most part. Which other is than awful. Get-
0: that 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 to me is a sign of bad writing.
1: <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I,
0: I will say like Tyrion. I think comes close. And then other times when when it's not spot on, he doesn't come across as a like a real person or a fleshed out character. Um, but like Danny never does. John comes through occasionally. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say that. You're right. Uh, these people
1: aren't real human well, especially beings. For these shows where I expect the worst like this and The Walking Dead, um, I, I just expect the worst. So I try not, I think it's subconsciously, try not to become too invested in the people. And I don't really get that upset when people die. I mean, sometimes I do, but I, I in general, I try not to because... Of course, they're just gonna try to kill every fucking person on the show, like, uh, you know. it is Yeah, stuff. yeah. And this show yeah. is
0: very much torture porn. I remember when Talisa was telling about that awful story about her like little brother getting killed. I was, I was like, great, another child murder. We haven't had one of those in one episode. Um yeah. But but it, it turned out to be a happy thing. But still, like, it's just it's just piled on and piled on, depressing hate. So you guard against it by. Yeah, expecting these people to die. Right. So that's that's not good. You know what I mean? Like, uh, in order for that. a death... To, what was that? I would agree with that, yeah, yes. Yeah, I would say in order for a death to be impactful, you can't expect it. Like, the first Ned Stark death worked so well because you weren't expecting it. Now you're expecting people to die. Like, jokingly, you know, these fucking water cooler people who watch the show, they're like, I, get, I can't wait to see who dies next on Game of Thrones. Like that's that's awful you know what i mean
1: it's weird it's weird
0: yeah I, I would say it's it's past the point of weird i would say it's just not uh good like it's just like is that what we're watching we're watching a 10 little indians piece like who's gonna die next like it's a horror yeah,
1: movie I, I don't understand like the people who, like saw movies i, I i've never uh, understood that you know
0: i remember walking out of saw seeing it with uh an ex-girlfriend and we both go that was awful and people clapping at the end and it turned out to be such a huge hit that show is f- that that movie i can't believe they made like 10 sequels it's i don't awful.
1: understand yeah i don't understand the appeal of it
0: but. but whatever all right let's wrap this thing up yeah um what did you think about the show uh i'm gonna go ahead and give my normal rating before you give me whatever food related uh rating you're gonna do i'm gonna give it a, a 2.5 because as it was middling uh i enjoyed parts of it i hated other parts of it but kind of middle of the road i will say my biggest disappointment is that it does not set up the battle of the blackwater at all which is i think a problem yeah i agree i'll give it a 2.5 okay no questions asked um so thank (laughs) you very much for joining me oh
1: man i tried to slide it by yeah
0: no no i didn't want to i didn't want to get into it i I saw you baiting me and i said no thank you all right so uh 2.5 and 2.5 let me average that out the two
1: point five plus five divided by two. The sad part is, folks, he's actually trying to average. <laughs> these, he can't figure it out.
0: So that's going to be an average score of two point five five, which isn't allowed. So I'm going to average it up to two point five. Thank you very much, Brian, for being <laughs> on the show Aver- this week. Hopefully, Aver- we can have you back. Aver- two point six. No, God, you played your
1: <laughs> you played yourself on that one.
0: Okay. Uh, Thank hopefully, you we much. can have I'm you sorry. back at some point. So spectacular. <laughs> The spectacular from last week um, was pretty good. Hopefully, uh, you'll be back next week. We don't know anymore.
1: Yeah, my dragons.
0: But um, also, guys, yes, please. Uh, we appreciate the comments on the website. Please keep them coming. I love your feedback, even if it is somewhat uh, offensive to certain members of the podcast. Um, Jermaine. Uh but I will say that. Uh, even more so if you rate and review us on itunes that kind of helps us out because that uh, increases our sponsorship and maybe we can get modal fabrics on, on here at some point um also check out our sister uh podcast the shameful dead uh that also uh premieres every tuesday and we'll be talking about that horrible show the Walking dead and this week i believe brian's gonna be on right brian
1: oh no you have to go through
0: my publicist uh yeah brian has refused to be part of this show but we'll see. Anyway, guys, thank you for joining us. This was an inflated podcast, so if you thought last week's was overly short, um, you deserved every fucking minute of this. So good night, guys. Thank you very much. See you next Tuesday.
1: Thank you, everyone.